Recording in progress. Now, thank you very much. I'll uh, uh, now bow to to my right and bow to my to my left. Uh, thank thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I will then proceed to request delegates to observe um, a moment of silence for prayer or meditation. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Let me take this opportunity to welcome everybody um, and proceed on to uh, announce the passing of Mr. Mtunzi Kalata. Uh, so it is with sadness that I have to announce the untimely passing of one of our staff members, um, Tunzi Kalata. Uh, Mr. Kalata started working in, at, at Parliament uh, on the 1st of January 1996 as a language practitioner. And at, at the time of his death, he was employed as an editor, dealt with questions, uh, here at the NCOP, we extend our deepest condolences to his family, loved ones, and colleagues. May his soul rest uh, in eternal uh, peace. Um, allow me then to request uh, all of us to bow our heads and, and observe a moment of, of silence. Thank you very much. Honorable delegates, uh, before we proceed, I would like to make the following uh, announcements. Uh, that the high bridge sitting constitutes the sitting of the National Council of Provinces, so that we are properly reminded that delegates in the high bridge sitting enjoy the same powers and privileges that apply in a sitting of the National Council of, of Provinces that the interpretation facility is, is active, uh, permanent delegates, members of the executive, special delegates and salary representatives are requested to ensure that the interpretation facilities on their gadgets are properly activated to facilitate access to the interpretation uh, services. That any delegate who wishes to speak must use raise your hand function that all delegates may participate in the discussion through the chat room, and that delegates who are physically in the chamber must uh, connect to the virtual platform, 
as well as insert their cards to register on the chamber system, that they must switch off the sound of their gadgets and ensure that the microphones on their gadgets are muted and remain, remain muted at all times. That we must use the floor uh, mic- microphones. Um, honorable delegates, uh, in accordance with Council Rule 2291, there will be no notices of motion or motions without uh, uh, notice. So we'll have to then proceed to the questions. Uh, but before we do so, I would like to take this opportunity to welcome the deputy ministers present in the House uh, uh, from the governance cluster, specifically uh, deputy ministers of corporate governance and traditional affairs, um, uh, as well as the from my notes indicate the Minister of Public Service and Administration, uh, the MECs who may be present, all permanent and special delegates uh, to the House as indicated. Fred, I would like to make the following uh, remarks. Again, uh, largely a reminder to the House that the time to re- for reply by ministers to questions is five minutes. Uh, uh, we, we really do emphasize this from time to time, but members seem to to forget uh, and this tends to create other difficulties. Uh, only four supplementary questions are allowed for questions. A member who has asked uh, the initial question would be the first to be afforded an opportunity to ask a supplementary question. The time for asking supplementary question is two minutes. The time for reply to supplementary questions is four minutes. Uh, and sometimes uh, there's a sense that uh, ministers and deputy ministers are being disadvantaged. So we must keep to the time, the time for apply, to, to reply for supplementary question is four minutes. The supplementary question must emanate from the initial question. Um, we'll then move on. Uh, I now call on, on the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs to respond to question nine which has been asked by Honorable T.S.C. Dodovu. Again, a reminder, five minutes for a response to a question. Uh, yeah, Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chair, person of the House. The answer to the first question is yes. Um, the, the government and the Department of Cooperative Government is indeed a, sorry, 
is indeed taking measures aimed at contributing to the professionalization of local government to manage the interface between the professional administration and political leadership of municipalities. These measures include regulations, the introduction of frameworks, as well as the deployment of technical and professional capacities, all of which will be enhanced by proposed related by proposals related to the amendment. The minister introduced the following regulations. Professionalize local government administration by establishing uniform norms and standards. They also include minimal qualification and competency criteria which entails requirements for senior management, such as tertiary qualifications, a minimum of five years management experience, and certain critical leadership competencies, such as problem solving. They also delineate roles and responsibilities for counselors and officials, whilst prohibiting councillors from participating in recruitment and selection processes. In addition to these regulations, Cabinet is considering the national implementation framework towards professionalization of the public service as a whole, which is to be administered by the National School of Governance. The complement to complement this, Municipal Infrastructure Support Agency MISA works with municipalities and deploys professionals. These include registered engineers, planners, as well as energy, solid waste, water sanitation, and roads and transport specialists who work and provide on-the-job training and support to municipal staff. Such support includes enrolling the youth, local community members, and officials in the recognition of prior learning program, apprenticeship program, young graduate program, among other professional development programs. However, this support is far from being adequate because we are limited by resources that are at the disposal of MESA. Nonetheless, the participants are enabled to professionally register. And the answer to the second part of the question is no. The current measures do not adequately address questionable appointments. To address this, amongst others, Parliament on the 3rd of May 2022 
pass the Municipal Systems Amendment Bill, which prohibits all municipal officials from holding political office. Further, Clause 2 and 3 of the bill also empowers the MEC to take appropriate steps, which may include the application of declaratory order on the validity of appointments to enforce compliance. The Municipal Systems Amendment Bill is currently before the President and once assented to, will bolster our efforts towards meeting this objective. In the end, all governing political parties the governing political party and other parties. Yes, Minister, we'll have to ask you to, to conclude. Ma, okay, must also take responsibility for ensuring that all these are adhered to. Thank you. No, thank you, Minister. Honorable um, Dodovo, follow-up question. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. I'm going to switch off my video. As you can see, it is not very, very well, so that I proceed with my question, if you permit me. Uh, Honorable Chair, having said that, we are happy that the minister has provided a very, very clear and comprehensive uh, response on how the department seeks to professionalize uh, local government. This is quite important because if that happens, competent, skillful, experienced, and qualified personnel will be recruited, and those who do not comply will be dealt with in the way that the minister has explained. And we are also happy that MISA has also come on board to ensure that it assists that particular process. And thank you very much, Minister, for, for that response. And, and, and my question would be, because provinces are going to support, are going to monitor municipalities in terms of compliance in this particular process, what specific support will the National Cocta Department give to the provinces to ensure that these objectives are fulfilled? Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Dodovo. Um, can we then move, move on to hear a response from the Minister? Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Dodovo, for your follow-up question. Uh, COCTA is reviewing the capacity building strategy for local government with a view to improving coordination of capacity, support, and better structuring initiatives across the sector. Each municipality will be bound to develop, adopt, and implement a capacity development plan, which will be aligned to the integrated development plan. Each plan will serve as a single capacity support agreement through which all stakeholders will channel support uh, to the municipality. COCTA will focus on designing generic capacity support programs and mobilizing resources for implementation by municipalities. 
and MISA intends to continue with technical support for infrastructure development and service delivery through deployment of registered engineers and town planners. And of course, through the district development model, we also intend mobilizing other departments to come to the assistance and of local government. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. Uh, we'll now move on to a question from the DA. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Honorable Minister, uh, in absentia, we would like to have you here in the House the next time. Honorable Minister, the ANC's Cater Deployment Committee has left South Africa bereft of competent managers in too many municipalities. Those who have the jobs do not have any skill other than the skill to produce a membership card. Those who do have the skills have been kept out through the illegitimate cater deployment scheme and by an aversion to the toxicity of working with manipulative and scheming corrupt politicians. Honorable Minister, will you ask the president of the ANC, the current president, Cyril Ramaphosa, to drop his opposition to the Cater Deployment Court case, which was brought by the Democratic Alliance. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you for that question. No, I will not ask the President. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. The next speaker comes from the EFF. EFF. development <laughs> Uh, Honorable Thank you very much, uh, uh, Minister. We'll proceed to FF Plus. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister, in uh, 2021, the then Minister in the Presidency, Honorable Kumbutsum Chaveni, mentioned that nearly half of South Africa's senior municipal officials didn't meet the government's prescribed minimum competency levels. Out of 2,747 municipal officials, only 1,065 of them, that's 53%, met the minimum competency levels. In addition, 
53.7% of the senior managers achieved the minimum competency levels at the time. Minister, the AG reports reiterated uh, this year after year, and you've been aware of this and are well aware of the incompetent senior officials that were appointed in ANC-led municipalities. Turning a blind eye makes one complicit. Minister, I want you to know, knowing this, why haven't you, Minister, acted sooner to ensure that competent individuals were appointed in these crucial positions? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Robert uh, Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, Chair. First of all, I've just said that the Municipal Systems Amendment Act is in front of the President. Now he's going to sign it, the bill into an act. That bill stayed in, came to Parliament, so we acted. But we couldn't change the, the law ourselves. We had to bring it to Parliament. From Parliament, it went to, it came to the NCOP. And now it is going to be assented to by the president, which enables us to be able to take, to take some responsibility through the MECs if the council is not doing the right thing. I've also just indicated that we have regulations that will force, in a way, municipalities to employ people who are experienced because we, we are going to be applying the s- same standardized norms and standards before each municipality was doing what it wants. But now there are standard procedures for every municipality. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. We'll now proceed to question 47. The question is on assessing failure, failure of municipalities. Uh, this question is from uh, uh, I.M. Sileku and is directed to the Minister of Cooperative Governance and, and Traditional uh, Affairs. Uh, Minister? Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson, but also thank you for the question. Uh, The answer to the question is that uh, there are many challenges, but I'll probably just uh, stick to five in the time that I have. One of the challenges is the underfunding of the sphere of local government as a whole. Because when the local government wall-to-wall was introduced, the assumption was that every municipality will be able to raise its own revenue. But it's clear that not every municipality is able to raise its revenue because a lot of the municipalities now, which was not like that during the apartheid days, are serving indigent communities who are not able to pay for their services. So if you serve indigent communities, then it becomes difficult to raise your own revenue. The second challenge is that in some of the areas, uh, there is widespread uh, situation of hunger, poverty, which has been an unemployment, which has been exacerbated by COVID-19, 
which makes it difficult for people to pay. But we also notice that some of the uh, communities have not really been paying their dues to the municipalities. So that's why municipalities are short of uh, resources. But there's also uh, issues of challenge of powers and functions, which inherently does not sufficiently clarify and elaborate on the scope and depth of functions allocated to local and district municipalities. Typically, some of them may be water service authorities and and providers which require rationalization or clarify at at where authority and responsibility reside. There are also political and governance challenges uh, where there is an inappropriate interface between the council or council members and the administration. There is also uh, the issue of that we have just uh, discussed that in the past there were no norms and standards about who should be employed as municipal manager or even uh, technical people in the municipality. So those are some of the challenges, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. Um, Honorable Sileku. Chair, allow me to greet the Minister in absentia. And I hope next time she will be joining us and also appreciate the DM for making an effort to come and be with us. Minister, right at the beginning of the Zimbabwe crisis, your party, the African National Congress, was adamant that Zimbabweans must be left alone to resolve their problems. To this day, they have failed. In your response regarding dysfunctional municipalities, you said, and I quote, Problems in municipalities are caused by us, referring to you as the ANC, and we should find solutions, unquote. With the ANC, with the ANC's disastrous track record in resolving problems at home and abroad, it is no wonder our municipalities are in such a bad state. In a typical ANC-run municipality, the following is found. Experts are suspended without good reason, and are replaced by unsuccessful cadres from the 2021 campaign. To make matters worse, the ANC then sets up parallel to- political structures with the intention to illegally direct the work of these cadres. And finally, to add insult to injury, incompetent councillors are then allocated personal security to protect themselves from the poverty-stricken residents they are supposed to serve at exorbitant amounts while our municipalities are underfunded. Minister, how are you going to reverse and rectify the problems your fellow cadres have caused in municipalities for a decade now? Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you, uh, Honorable Chair. Some of the things that the Honorable Member says do not arise from my answer. Uh, but let me say maybe he wasn't quite listening to what we have said. We have said that there are regulations as we speak 
which municipalities must follow in employing officials. And those are standard across the length and breadth of this country. So those regulations must then be followed. And we've even said that if they don't comply, the 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 the, 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 the municipal systems amendment bill, once it becomes act, will empower the MEC to take measures if the municipal if the council is not in, uh, complying, or if a councillor is not doing what they are supposed to do, they can even be suspended or even removed. And when they are removed, they can even be Ill- stand for elections at least for two for two years. So we put measures, and we we since I arrived in this parliament, that's what we've been discussing, honourable member. Thank you. Uh, Minister, uh, we will then proceed to other follow-up questions. The first one is from the, the ANC. Thank you, Chair. Chair, let me correct something. I don't know whether Honorable Sleko is understandable when we're talking about hybrid. Minister is here. It's not on the absentia. Thank you about that. Thank you, Honorable Minister, for your response to the questions. What role is the district development model playing in identifying and addressing some of the challenges that negatively affect the performance of municipality? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Member, for that question. Uh, as you uh, as 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 you yourself have said, the district development model is actually there to to canvas the whole of government and the whole of society to work together towards improving the work of local de- local government. So what we are doing is to get other departments as well, because local government business is everybody's business. It's not just a COCTA. And in, and in any case, COCTA just coordinates. It's not an implementing, a pro, doesn't implement projects except through MISA. So the district development model allows us to bring in departments from the provinces and departments from national to assist local government. And in fact, we've just had a, 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 a whole day discussion with other departments chaired by the president, that meeting with provinces, with premiers, really looking at how all of us can assist local government so that it can do its work and discharge its responsibilities 
but also improve the service delivery for our people. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. The next uh, speaker is from uh, IFP. IFP question. Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Minister, the high levels of vacancies in municipalities take a long time to fill and leave the public service vulnerable. Without compromising due diligence processes, what steps can be taken to fill these positions in a timely fashion? I thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much. I, th- I think you are correct. Some of the vacancies and the turnaround time takes too long. We are, of course, discussing with the local government precisely that because besides the norms and standards about who should be employed, what what should what qualifications should they have, what competencies, what experience, we are also looking at the time that it should take uh, to 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 turn around the the, the 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 feeling of vacancies. But let me also say that is part of the that should be part of the oversight by the council. So political parties must also play their part. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. The next uh, supplementary question comes from the EFF. EFF. Uh, thank you. Thank you, our chairperson. Yes. Uh, Honorable Minister. Uh, Despite interventions taken to address challenges such as administrative incapacity, insufficient service delivery, underspending, corruption, and lack of accountability, municipalities remain in a constant state of crisis and are unable to fulfill their constitutional mandate of service delivery. Minister, how will interventions proposed to improve service delivery differ from all others which have failed before? Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, One, I think the whole afternoon we've been discussing the issue of getting the right people in the right jobs. And that's why we put these regulations, because we realize that in some of the municipalities, and it's not in all of them, but in many of the municipalities, uh, the municipalities employ people without the necessary qualification, without the necessary experience and competences. That's why we've then decided that there must be norms and standards to do that. That's the first thing. Secondly, of course, if you've got the right people, it means even in the financial section of the municipality, you'll be able to get the the right skills. Of course, there may be challenges in some of the municipalities, especially around planning, engineering, and all that, because some of the municipalities are small. They don't have a, a big budget and therefore are unable to attract the skills that are needed. 
And this is why we are saying MISA, uh, if MISA can get even more resources, they can be able to help many more municipalities. But over and above that, we're working very closely with water, with waste management, with transport, with other departments to say, local government is everybody's business. We should all assist where local government is failing. Because, as I say, really some of the municipalities are just too small to attract experienced engineers. Some of them have got engineers, but they are not registered. So MISA is working with them to assist them to get registration so that they can be then able to do work properly. It's also assisting with the with the planners, but it can only assist according to the budget it has, and it, its budget is not that much. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. We'll now proceed to question 46. This question is on community works uh, program. A question is asked by Ms. A.D. Malika and is directed to the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. Uh, Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and thank you to the Honorable Member for the question. The answer to the question is that at the moment, the main purpose of Community Works Program is poverty alleviation through the provision of work opportunities as a safety net to the most marginalized. To date, more than 250,000 participants have undertaken projects which also entail useful work. The CWP also has the secondary objective and that secondary objective is to contribute towards the development and maintenance of public assets, such as crashes, roads, and community centers, which objectives have not have been partially met with renovations, maintenance, and repairs of infrastructure in places such as Tlontlo, Collins, Shabane municipalities, and so on. In seeking to improve the services and income levels in communities, the municipalities such as Dabangulu local municipality, CWP is engaged in the repair of potholes, clearing alien species, and clearing of dumping sites and the creation of community gardens. Additionally, through agrarian reform, a Pigari project in Okasamba local municipality, and there are others, but as I say, this has been partially met, and we are hoping that uh, with uh, time we'll be able to do more with CWP, even including training them to get skills which will enable them to get jobs or even to 
startup small businesses. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. Uh, Honorable Malika. Thank you, Chairperson. And thank you, Honorable Minister, for your response to the question. The Community Works Program can play a very important role in the development of public assets and rendering services to poor communities. It is therefore encouraging to hear that the new CWP implementation policy is focusing on public assets and services. Honorable Minister, is it not possible to make the development of public assets and services mandatory in the CWP site business plan? Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Minister. Uh, thank you very much for that follow-up question. At, at the moment, uh, as the Honourable Member will know, the decision tends to be taken by the municipality uh, working with the NPOs about what um, CWP uh, members should be involved in or participants. But what we are doing as the department now is to say for them to contribute meaningfully to the development of assets and so on, they should be trained. So we are looking at making training an integral part of what should be done so that they can get a skill and go and maintain roads if if their skills is on road maintenance. If their skill is on building, then they can go and assist. If their skill is ECD assistance and so on. So while, while, while looking at not just them uh, being unskilled, but to get some skill which they can use even beyond being mem- participants in CWP. But of course, as you know, uh, government uh, policy changes and implementation take a bit of time, but that's that's where we are now. Thank you. Thank you very much, Minister. We'll now move over to EF, sorry, FF Plus. <laughs> Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister, the Community Works Program is one of the EPWP sub-programs that was initiated to supplement government social grants. I want to know, Minister, what measures are in place to ensure that uh, employment opportunities within the Community Works Program allocated and monitored to be fair and just, and also when these people are employed for the periods that government actually gets value for money, that it's monitored, and that the people do work that are employed. Thank you, Minister. Thank you, you, Honorable Member. As you know, it would be impossible for the National Department to go and look at whether they are working every day. It is the responsibility of the municipality working with NPOs to make sure that the work that they are supposed to do is done they are monitored, and that government gets value for money. Cocta National 
even if it wanted to do it. We're such a small department. There's no way we can do it ourselves, but the municipalities are supposed to do that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Minister. This next follow-up question, uh, which is uh, follow-up question number three, is from the EFF. EFF? No, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Minister, community development work has not achieved all the goals that are directly linked to poverty alleviation at program level. Which measures has the minister undertaken to address challenges faced in the effective implementation of community work programs, such as the implementation, poor coordination, inadequate infrastructure and resources to run programs effectively? Thank you, Chair. Honorable Minister, can can I also ask members to please speak to the mic? Uh, I know that uh, Honourable Member is capable of doing that. So let's try and do that. Speak to the mic and be loud enough. Honourable Minister. And thank you very much. Uh, Honourable Chair, I've just said that the responsibility to ensure that everything works accordingly is at municipal level. Because it's the municipalities even who choose what programs should be done because national can't come down to the local government and dictate what program should should be done, whether they should be looking after these roads or cutting that grass or the, the responsibility is with the municipalities to do that. But as I say, we are trying to to remodel it so that there is training because you can't get those programs to happen if you don't train the participants to have the skills to actually implement projects that are meaningful to the community. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chair Minister. The fourth supplementary question comes from the DA. Allow me, Chair, to greet again to the Minister in absentia. Good afternoon again. South Africa, unfortunately, has Minister a decreasing... on the virtual platform, not in absentia. I'm on the virtual platform. Thank you. Can I be protected, Chair? Can I be protected? <laughs> I, I, I guess, as, 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 we, as we say... The my time is the members up. have a right to protection, yes. uh, uh, but but we 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 also acknowledge that uh, there's a bit of heckling from time to time, as long as it doesn't de- disturb the the the, the 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 voice and 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 the message that is being uh, communicated. Please proceed. Yeah. Chair, it's a point of order in terms of our rules as the National Council of Provinces. When you started, you explained that we are in a hybrid sitting. And since we have started, there's been a reputation that a minister who's on the virtual platform, it's somebody who's not part of the city. 
and that is totally against what you explain in the rules of a hybrid yeah. sitting. I'm, sh- I'm sure the point is, is noted and, and will not have a, a debate uh, on that. Leku, please proceed. Jabulela, Slalo. South Africa, unfortunately, has a decreasing tax base and an increasing unemployment rate. This places more pressure and responsibility on government to utilize the finite resources optimally by making use of implementing agents to roll out the CWP instead of finding a more direct route. We are effectively losing millions along the way that should have gone to the most vulnerable. Apart from the above, some implementing agents pay, pay out money to deceased individuals, ghost employees, exacerbating the problem of funds that should be reaching the most needy. What will the minister do to address the above? Thank you very much. Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, when, when we came to the department, that was uh, uh, one of the problems. But what we have done now, we have linked uh, our the system of payment to that of home affairs, so that when we pay the participants, we can check with home affairs unless the death was not reported to home affairs, in which case there is nothing we can do. That is the participants that are paid by government. But of course, the, the NPOs do have people they pay directly, like those that they call supervisors and site managers. They are the ones that they pay directly. But as far as the, the, main, the, the main participants who are paid by government, we now have that link with Home Affairs. So that eliminates the issue of paying diseased uh, participants. As I say, unless their death is not reported to Home Affairs. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, um, Minister. We will now proceed to question 22. Uh, this question is on monitoring performance of the uh, administrators. The question is from uh, uh, Honorable N.M. Hadebe from Kosuru Natal, and the question is to the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. Minister? Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and thank you for the question. The answer is yes. Administrators appointed under Section 139 of the Constitution are monitored by the provincial governments in line with the terms and reference of their own employment contracts. I'm informed that the administrators, uh, their own employment, they, they have employment contracts and they, their performance is monitored through a periodic progress reports that they submit to provincial government, but also through the monitoring meetings with the provincial and national government. I'm further informed that performance agreements are monitored through monthly reports 
submitted by the administrators to the MEC. The second part of the question, the answer is yes. The administrators are held accountable through their employment contracts to fulfill their contractual obligations through submitting periodic reports on the intervention. The provincial and national government schedule meetings and reporting engagement with the administrators based on terms of reference for the intervention. The administrators are subjected to a performance inquiry or disciplinary process should the administrators fail to achieve the desired outcomes. If need be, the administrator's employment contract may be terminated if it is found that they are not performing satisfactorily. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. The first uh, supplementary question, what are we going to do? Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Honorable Chair. Um, Honorable Minister, Section 139 of our Constitution relates to very serious matters of clean governance. As a result, it is seen as a failure when a municipality fails to fulfill an executive obligation in terms of the constitutional legislation. Administrators are instrumental in ensuring that clean governance and service de- delivery resume. We have noticed that certain administrators who have failed to adequately address the Auditor General's concerns and the recommendations outlined by the by Section 139 are moved to other municipalities to continue the same work. How is this cons- consistent with the Minister's previously mentioned performance monitoring mechanisms? I thank you. Minister? Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Member. First of all, let me just say clearly that most of the 139, Section 139 interventions are done at a provincial level and are monitored mainly by the province, the MEC, through the MEC, and the executive. So it is indeed not correct if an administrator has been found not to to be able to carry on with his contractual applications in one municipality to be taken to another municipality. That is not correct. It shouldn't be done. But as I say, where we find that that is the case, we advise as such. If we, if we find that there is an administrator that is being appointed when we know that that administrator hadn't done a proper job elsewhere, we advise. But as I say, those are the, the major uh, majority of those are at provincial level. Thank you. Thank you very much, Minister. Uh, the second supplementary questions come from the TA. TA? 
Thank you very much, House Chair or Chairperson. Thank you very much. Um, and welcome everybody back to the House. It was nice to have the, the spirit of welcoming when we walked in today. It was very collegial. So thank you to all the colleagues. Uh, Minister, thank you. It would have been nice to welcome you back as well. But Minister, the Mfuleni Municipality has been under provincial administration since July of 2017. Now, MEC Maile, through his colleague, MEC Jacob uh, Mamabolo, who was the MEC before him, threw him under the bus by admitting that there were no improvements in the first two years of the administration. By the submissions of the community, the Auditor General, suppliers to the municipality, the Human Rights Commission, and even the recent provincial report, there's been no improvement in the last three years of the administration either, Minister. Minister, the electricity system is failing as the municipality does not have the money to buy cables, breakers, and fuses where they need to be replaced. We see short lengths of copper wire being used to bridge the system where fuses have blown. Electricity outages last for days. Non-revenue water exceeds 50%. Sewage flows in the streets and into the Val River, and the billing and the collections are in total disarray. The 2021 election, Minister, saw a total erosion of experience in the African National Congress caucus, with 86% of the councillors elected being first-time councillors. The other 14% were backbenchers before, and they remain backbenchers. This municipality needs rescuing, Minister. The province has failed. Please will you use Section 139.7 and intervene from national government's side, or alternatively, invoke Section 139.1c, dissolve the municipality, and give voters a chance to elect new leadership. Thank you. Minister? Uh, thank you very much uh, for that supplementary question. I think one of the things that is indeed a problem, a challenge in the municipalities, is the high turnover of councillors. And of course, that is not in the government's hands. It's in the political party's hands. Secondly, uh, it is indeed true that um, Fuleni has been under administration for quite some time. But I'm not sure that the solution would be to dissolve because this council is, is, had, is not even a year old yet. Um, so the voters did express their, their views in November. But I think maybe we will engage the province. Well, let me say we'll engage the province and see if they think they can, they can do better. At some stage, we did intervene when things were really bad with the sewage. We even got the defense force to go and assist uh, as the national, but we were assisting the province. So let me leave it at that for now. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chair Minister. The third the supplementary question comes from the EFF. EFF. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Munta Bingelel. Um, Patiswa, since Siakonda Oguti Oti, 
ama province athatha lezinqumo emayana ukufaka imikhandlu ngaphansi kwesigaba ska139 kepha sendlelazini umnyango wakho ozenza uqinisekisa ukuthi kwabona laba abafakiwe ukuthi bazobhekelela lemikhandlu kwama administrators anolwazi olugcwele lokuphatha lemikhandlu kanye nabo bonke nje abasebenza bakhona iziphi indawo lapho eniqinisekisa khona ukuthi lemikhandlu le izosebenza ngendle kuyona yona mabe semhlakani lama administrators seba Minister? Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Member. Uh, I think your follow-up question is answer in Penduluya logo Ogbusayo. Honorable Member. Ilele gulentebe inisho ekkani ugutisekani Ugutisa <laughs> Thank you, Minister. The fourth uh, supplemental question comes from the ANC. ANC. No, thank you, Minister, for your response to the question. And I've noticed that, uh, especially on the two latter speakers, that you have been answering one and the same thing, uh, trying to clarify it. But, uh, Minister, you also mentioned the issue of the administrators, that is that uh, there are not all the administrators that are performing their tasks uh, uh, um, very well and also assisting in establishing municipality, but others, minister, add no value and sometimes create more problems. Minister, is there any efficient process of intervention by the government in an event that the administrator is not fulfilling the performance agreement? May you please just explain that uh, once more again I know you have answered the rest. Thank you, Minister. Minister? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Member, thank you for that follow-up question. But as I said, that responsibility lies with the, with the sphere that is uh, intervening. Most of the interventions are done by the provincial sphere, which means the provincial sphere is the one that uh, monitors that that draws the contract for the in the first instance, and they must draw the contract according to the terms of reference of the intervention, and then they must then monitor whether the administration is doing its work properly. But my, my honest view is that maybe it's not sufficient to send an administrator 
in an intervention. Because we are sending one person to intervene in a situation that, in my view, needs a team. Which is what we are now trying to do, at least at the national level. Uh, we are trying to, we, 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 we are in a way, if you like, piloting this idea in Mangawu, where instead of just sending the cabinet representative, we, we have sent a team. Of course, it was also occasioned by the terms of the intervention. We've sent a team which has even officials from other departments rather than just from Cogta and and Treasure. So I think maybe it's something that needs to be explored, whether it's really sufficient to send one person to try and turn around a situation that is so difficult. But sometimes it's also the, 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 the powers of the council are still in place. And if it's the council, if there is a problem in the council, then that will also uh, create problems for the administrator. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. We now proceed to question number 18. Uh, this question is on, on delivery of essential services. Uh, the question is from uh, Honorable uh, C. Fesser uh, to the Minister of Cooperative, Gover- Co- Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. Minister? Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you uh, to the Honorable Member for the for the question. Uh, let me say that the answer is that essential services are being delivered in rural and challenged municipalities, and they are assisted at the moment, not all of them, because we do not have the capacity to assist all of them. By MISA, as I said earlier in another question, to date, 72 MISA professionals have been deployed to support uh, municipalities. If, if we take municipalities where MISA has been, of course, there are only 72, so you can see that they can only be to a few municipalities at a time. And given the need, this is not enough. I'm, I'll be the first one to admit that it's not enough. But we, we, we can only do what we can with the resources we have. And it is for that reason that we are saying through the DDM, let's get other departments to also assist. Also, MISA has collaborated with the University of Cape Town and has developed what we call a public infrastructure unit cost guideline. The unit cost guideline is for costing municipal infrastructure. The unit cost guideline was instrumental 
for instance, in, in the flood damage assessment in KZN, especially after the April floods. MISA has also purchased built environment software to ensure that low and medium capacity municipalities are also assisted to verify designs done by third parties and with the done by third parties to perform engineering designs in-house instead of outsourcing. The use of this software is being piloted this financial year in the OR Tambo District Municipality in the Eastern Cape. MISA also implements high-impact projects upon request by low and medium capacity municipalities. For an example, through its own budget, MISA assisted Makanda Central Business District uh, by uh, repairing or building a road there in Makanda local municipality in the Eastern Cape. And in other municipalities, it, in Monta, for instance, it has built a wastewater treatment plant in Bakulusi local municipality. Uh, and then through its own budget again, and in collaboration with other stakeholders like the Develop, Development Bank of South Africa, DPSA, MISA contributes to access to potable water supply in rural areas by either portraying springs or uh, doing boreholes in order to u- utilize groundwater where the people don't have water. And in order to ensure that municipalities function in compliance with all the relevant legislation, the department provides guidelines and frameworks for implementation by municipalities and the provincial members. And, and different heads of departments in the executives. The second part, uh, the answer is in order to ensure that ill-disciplined councillors do not contribute to the collapse of government services, a code of conduct for councillors has been adopted and is being implemented. The code requires that a councillor must perform the function of office in good faith, honestly, and in a transparent manner at all times. This is to ensure that credible and integrity of the municipalities is not compromised. To entrench a culture of discipline in the municipalities and ethical leadership in councils, the department is developing regulations to augment the implementation of the code. The code and the regulations further stipulate the investigation and disciplinary process to be embarked upon. This may lead to the suspension or removal of guilty councillor. Should the councillor be removed from office, the councillor may not stay. I'll ask the minister to conclude. Yeah, yeah the, the, the councillor may not stand for two years. Uh, in fact, this this is in the so this is in the municipal systems uh, 
bill that is going to be an act soon. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. Uh, we'll now proceed to Honorable Fessler. Uh, first follow-up uh, question. Honorable Minister. Yeah, just, just press again. Yeah. But there it is now. Thank you. Um, thank you, Chair. Uh, Minister, respectfully, we miss you and your magic in this in this historic day in the House today. Minister, and we thank you for those words, because really that is all they are. For 28 years, words did nothing for us. Lots of talk and no action, allowing deterioration and complete collapse of municipalities. All your paper plans failed causing inhumane conditions to human beings. We have noted that your party only now has a policy of stepping aside when charged with criminal action. In the DA, we have a policy of stepping aside when you are incompetent. So, Minister, respectfully, given that you are unable to fix our municipalities and have clearly shown your incompetence, Please, why don't you step aside? Thank you. That does not arise from my that does not arise from my from my answer. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll then proceed to EFF. Sorry, FF plus. Thank you, Honorable J. Honorable Minister. It is common knowledge in municipalities across South Africa that overtime is being abused and that essential services is being used as an excuse to justify these unrealistic overtime payments. Uh, so my question would be, what procedures are in place to address this issue and how will officials that is guilty of approving these fraudulent overtime payments be reprimanded, especially in the Mangoon Metro that is currently under your administration? Thank you. Honorable Minister. Uh, Honorable Chair. Uh, respectfully, may the Honourable Member repeat the first, especially the first part of the question. Yes, uh, now, Honourable Minister, what I said, uh, it is common knowledge that in municipalities across South Africa that overtime is being abused and that essential services are being used as an excuse to justify these unrealistic overtime payments. So my question would be, what procedures are in place to address this issue? especially with overtime and uh, essential services. And will the officials be, that is guilty of approving these fraudulent overtime payments be reprimanded, um, especially in the Mangalung Metro, as that is currently under your administration. And, and as we know, there's a big problem with overtime payments, and especially with essential services. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Member, for that question. Yes, in fact, when the, when the team went to Mangaung, which is only a couple of months ago, uh, that was an issue that was raised with them. That, and uh, indeed, they are dealing with it. But of course, at a national level, we won't know what overtime is being done by every municipality. 
the provinces would be the ones that would know what is going on on a day-to-day, more or less on a day-to-day in a municipality. But indeed, in Mangawung, the team there has been informed and has been instructed to deal with that. But of course, that does not mean that we should then stop doing overtime for essential services. But you are right that it it should not be abused. Thank you. Thank you very much, Minister. The next supplementary question comes from the ANC. ANC. Yes, the African National Congress. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, thank you, Honorable Minister, for your response to the question. I just want to ask, is the department not thinking about the placement of young people who are unemployed graduates apprentices to assist in getting them to be professionally registered whilst improving the technical capacity of the municipality. I thank you very much, Honorable. Honorable Minister. Uh, Thank you very much if I understood your question properly. Um, One of the things that we are already doing is getting young people through MISA to be trained but also the, 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 the engineers who are not registered to be assisted to eventually get their registration. Uh, of course, there's high unemployment and we need to do everything we can. But part of the une- reasons for unemployment is because the young people don't have skills. And that is why all departments, their basic education should also is in the process of introducing the three, the three streams so that young people don't have to go through 12 years without getting a skill. Those who may want to branch off and do it and start is something that will give them a skill so that they can get a job or create a job. Higher education, it's important that the TVETs and the CITAS work together and we sh- and the municipalities must also work together with the CITAS because the CITAS have got training uh, resources so that we can train young people to get skills that are going to be useful both in the municipalities or even in the communities, and they can have a portable skill themselves that they can use. For instance, we can we 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 we've been working on a pilot to try and get the 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 construction sitter, for instance, to train young people to maintain roads. But of course, the construction sitters say. Yes, we have the money for training, but the, the, somebody else must buy the inputs like tar and so on and all the things that you need. So we have to pull in the different aspects and the, of, and the different parts of government, transport and so on. 
So, yes, we are looking at that and we're doing that within our capacity, but we're asking other departments to do the same so that there could be more of that training. Thank you. Thank you very much, Minister. The last supplementary questions come from the EFF. EFF. Chairperson, the achievement of public sector services delivery objectives is crucial to our people, both individual and collectively. Uh, Honorable Chair, sorry. Can the honorable members speak to the mic? She's very faint. The voice is very faint. I've already made a request, honorable members. Yeah. Honorable Hihi for speaking a shop steward voice here. From the head. <laughs> she must climb on the tree. And that's what is bad. You can hear her. The achievement of public sector services delivery objectives is crucial to our people, both individually and collectively. Yet over the past two year, the past two decades, in the hands of the ruling party, local governments have deteriorated dramatically as a currently exists love flag or a total absence of leadership commitment, which has been fund- fundamental to the failure of municipalities. Mukudutamah, please provide a detailed plan of how such services will be implemented across all provinces. Thank you very much, Honorable Lehihi. Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chair. But... The follow-up question must arise from my answer. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll then proceed to uh, the next question, which is question number 11. Uh, this question is on uh, skills uh, shortage, shortages in municipalities, uh, question has been asked by uh, Honorable S. Shaikh uh, to the Minister of Competitive Governance and Traditional Affairs. Minister. Thank you, Honorable Chair. And thank you to the Honorable Member for the question. Let me just first say the skills shortage uh, in municipalities also a reflection of the skills shortage elsewhere. There are efforts to try and improve skills in the municipalities. And of course, those efforts mean that first of all, the municipalities themselves must employ people in the administration 
who have the skills, the experience, the competencies to lead those departments or to lead the municipality itself. But also, if you if you recall that the Municipal Systems Act uh, has has also in its amend, amended version, oh no, it's not an act yet, the president will be ascending to it soon, but it, pro, it, it doesn't allow people who hold positions in political parties to also hold leadership positions in the municipal in the administration of the municipalities. So that is one of the things that are in that amendment. But also, we've also introduced the the framework of how to ensure competencies in the municipality, and through that, a total of uh, 2,894 persons have been subjected to to competency assessments because we also want to ensure that these competencies are there. And that's why we are now putting through those uh, people through competency assessments as one of the qualifying criteria for appointment as suitably qualified senior managers need those competencies. Before, it was not necessary to take people through competency tests. And the department working in collaboration with provincial copters also, as I said, has introduced these regulations and we hope that the provincial copters will ensure that these regulations are adhered to, which will assist in the recruitment of competent, capable, qualified uh, senior managers. However, it is worth mentioning that the department is not able to support all municipalities in terms of what MISA can do because of the budgetary constraints. As therefore, it might be helpful for you as honorable members to support us when we're asking for a better budget for me. So thank you. Mm, thank you very much, uh, uh, Minister. Honorable Shaikh. Oh, but let us take some question. <laughs> thank you, Honorable Chair. Uh, thank you, Honorable Minister, for the response to my question. It is clear that the Department is engaged in a number of programs to deal with the challenges of the skills gap. Is there any role played by institutions of higher education to assist in addressing the skills gap? I thank Honorable Minister. Thanks, Chair. And thank you very much, uh, Honorable Member, for that follow-up. Uh, let me say that the Department of Education is playing the role 
through the technical vocational training colleges to provide in-class training for the apprentice programs. Uh, also, it is playing a role through uh, working with us in terms of the CITAS. We work closely with the LG CITA in implementing the capacity building programs that I talked about in apprenticeship and experimental learnership. LG CITA also gives us bursaries to send some of the uh, young people to study. But I think it would still be uh, important maybe to also just discuss this directly with the Department of Higher Education. Thank you. Thank you very much, Minister. We'll proceed then to a second supplementary question from the EFF. Uh, Minister, there is a skill shortage crisis in local government, which is one of the reasons of non-delivery by municipalities. Municipalities are in need of skills to plan and manage service delivery, infrastructure, assets management, as well as land. Skills needed also include strong political leadership skills, which are lacking in the rank of the ruling part across all provinces. Which method of intervention have you, you have been taken to bridge the leadership skills gap within the ruling part? Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Thank you. That does not arise from my answer. Thank you, Chair. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Uh, th- thank you very much, Honorable. Yes. Why rising, Honorable Matibula? Yes, okay. Yeah,パーセンス。ですね、ウッサクソ。ランウラブレティショーテージオフスキルスアンジュンシュティスコワイバコアイアライズカデレレヴェントクシー。Thank uh, should I answer, Chair? Yeah. Um, Tim, I see your hand is up. Yeah. But we are also raising on a point of order. And what's the point of order? Yes, uh, Chairperson, Honorable Chairperson. Um, it, it occurs to me that the the, the prohibition on irrelevant questions relates to that it must relate to the original question. It does not have to relate to the answer. So if the if the member is asking a question that is connected to or relates to the original question posed, the answer of the minister is irrelevant. So I don't believe the minister can say this does not relate to my answer. She's she's misdirecting herself on the chairperson. Thank you. I, I guess we'll have to come back to this uh, uh, question. Um, no, no. What is it that I'm going to say? I'm saying that we'll have to come back to this matter 
And if I say question, you're not, I may not come, come across quite properly. We'll have to come back to this matter because uh, from time to time, uh, the questions that get asked are not related to the, 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 the issue at hand. Uh, so we need to, 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 to look at that. The other thing that you should also note is that there's no uh, uh, very, very clear explanation or a standard as to what the answers from the ministers ought to be, uh, which is a very, very difficult uh, uh, matter. So for now, what I'll urge we, we, we should do is, is really look at this, uh, this question quite, quite thoroughly um, uh, so that we, we minimize the kinds of interaction that sometimes uh, take place. Now I see um, uh, the EFF uh, hands there. Uh, now I want to know on what point they arise. Let's start with you. No, all that we are asking, Chairperson, is that the minister must answer questions. The question speaks about skills development, and what she, what she, what her follow-up question was about was about skills. So the minister shouldn't dodge questions. She must just answer questions. We cannot go uh, to that matter at a later stage. We, we're waiting for answers. Hence, we are here in this house. Thank you. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm not saying questions should not be answered. All I'm saying is that um, uh, we need to ourselves uh, clarify this matter a bit further so that uh, we are able to engage these issues to our satisfaction. Uh, and, and we get the, the kind of uh, uh, response uh, that, 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 that really assists us in our debates and in our, in our own uh, engagement. Sleku, let's try uh, it. Honorable Chair, may I answer the question? The question that the Honorable Member is asking just, just, just is, wait a bit, Minister. is the skills in the ruling party. There is nothing yes. in the that talks about skills in the ruling party. Thank you. Yes. That's the point, Chair. Sleko. Allow me to, to, to speak, Chair. What's the point of order, Sleko? Chair, in the Balegleo. that all of this point of I'm rising on a point of order, uh, point of order. I'm rising on a point of order, Chair. Yes. follow-up question. Yes. 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 Y
question ya mena ni ahlamuruwa rini because no would say follow up questions especially ile ba ka hlamuruwa sethu hi shortage of skills sene ya ibuti sankara muno if ni ka hlamuru kwa la sheshwa kwa la ka ndlini eh can i make a ruling on honorable members and just repeat it again this issue requires us to sit down and to 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 try and move in the direction of ensuring that uh, this 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 matter is dealt with in such a manner that it enhances our own level of debate and engagement in the house uh, and for starters just to emphasize one little point that i raised earlier on there is no standard uh, agreed upon way in which ministers or deputy ministers are expected to answer questions there's no such thing there's no such such thing but this i'm saying this not to not to 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 encourage a culture where questions are not are not answered all i'm saying is uh, we need to look at this matter a bit more as we move into the future thank you very much Uh, we'll now move to the IFP. IFP? IFP? Please. Please. Please sit down. Please sit. Please sit. I've not given you permission to speak. Please sit. I've not given you the permission to speak. I've... Yes. A member shall not stand and insist to speak unless he's he's given permission to do so by the presiding officer. IFP. Please proceed. Please proceed. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Minister. The IFP has long advocated for the professionalization of the public service through skills and competency. I would like to know what monitoring tools is your department using to assess the success of the site interventions to address the skills gap in respect of reaching the desired levels of service delivery on the ground? Thank you. Thank you very much, Minister. Thank you very much for that question, Honorable Member. As I say, we'll be with with the regulations that we've put in place. uh, We will monitor, but the monitoring is done both by us, the province, but there is a department in government that does monitoring and evaluation. So Yes, we will monitor to an extent ourselves, but government as a whole will also monitor. But it's important for the members of council themselves to monitor whether they, for instance, the, 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 the city manager or the municipal manager is following the procedures in terms of employing people who report to them. And it's important for council 
to follow the procedures as they employ the city managers and the municipal managers. Because those norms and standards must be implemented by council and by the city managers and MMs. And the council must do their own proper oversight as well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll proceed to the question by the DA. DA? Uh, thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Please allow me to, to ask my question without my video on. Uh, in a majority of responses given by Minister, she has on numerous occasions mentioned the name Misa, Misa, Misa. To me, it would seem he really over-relies on the capabilities of MISA, and I'm not underestimating MISA, but my worry is if you throw all your all your eggs in one basket, which is MISA, will we not overstretch MISA? And 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 and, uh, and and this whole thing fails. Now Chair. Honorable Nana, we have lost you. Honorable Nana, can we try again? Chair. Please proceed. My my question, Chair, to the minister. Minister, it is unthinkable that the substantial amount of salaries paid to municipal officials that can be handed out to people who do not have the ability to do their jobs. You are now promising to send MISA officials to help help municipalities. That means there will be two people earning salaries to do one job. Will you dismiss incompetent officials through incapacity processes or will you reduce their remuneration to a stipend whilst they are upskilled to a point where they are able to function as their job description grading and salary level demands. Thank you. Thank you very much Honorable Minister. Uh, Thank you very much uh, Honorable Member. Uh, first, your first part of the follow-up about relying on MISA. I think I must remind this house that COCTA is not a department that delivers in terms of projects. We are a coordinating department. That's that's. I just want to stress that. Then coming to MISA, MISA, we are not relying on MISA, relying on the municipalities to do their work and the provinces and national departments. But MISA is helping. It's small. If you, if you listen to me carefully, I kept saying it is a small, it has a small budget. So it cannot do 
a lot more. It can only do according to its own resources. But it also doesn't have to go to a metro where there are engineers, planners, and all the the necessary uh, professionals. It's assisting those municipalities that on the whole are not able to attract and do not have engineers, planners, and so on. And they're also assisting in municipalities where sometimes there's no water in a village and they, and they assist by drilling a borehole. It doesn't mean that they've taken somebody else's job, but they've delivered the service to the people who need it. If there are people who drill boreholes in that municipality, they could be drilling in another village whilst Misa is drilling in another area. So I just want to clarify that. Thank you. Yes, no, thank you very much, uh, Minister. Uh, Honorable members, uh, we have now come to the end of the questions to the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. And I would like to take this opportunity to thank the Minister for availing herself to answer questions. We will now proceed to questions to Acting Minister of Public Service and Administration. Um, uh, and and, and the, the first question is question number 13, uh, 1-3. Um, and this question is on corruption and maladministration in government. Uh, the question is by Honorable, uh, is from Honorable uh, K. Muimang, uh, and is directed to the Minister or Acting Minister of Public Service and, and Administration. Acting Minister. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, thank you to Honorable Moimang for the question. Indeed, we have to root out corruption in government. We must also nip it in the bud. And we are doing that, or we are doing just that. Government has the public administration, ethics, integrity, disciplinary technical assistant unit, which officially came into existence in March 2020. Two key strategic priorities of this body is to build an ethical public administration uh, to address the corruption in the public administration as we are busy building a capable ethical and developmental state. This body contributes to efforts of government to put in place measures to ensure the growing consciousness amongst the public servants to become stewards of protection and and guardians of the public resources. Again, this structure is also responsible for discipline management, norms and standards, as well as monitoring the implementation thereof to ensure consequent management for unethical and corrupt conduct. As we speak, we have a compulsory course on ethics for public servants covering the code of conduct as outlined in chapter two of the public service 
regulations of 2016. Another first was a course for internal auditors guiding them to audit the ethics management programs in government. And a total of 159 ethics officers were designated for managing ethics in the national departments and government components. 74 national and provincial departments have established ethics committees or designated other committees to perform uh, the ethics oversight. That's the response, uh, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Acting uh, Minister. Um, we'll then have the first follow-up question from Honorable Muiman. Thank you, thank you, uh, National Chairperson of the Council of Province. Uh, let me uh, extend a word of appreciation to the Honorable Minister for a comprehensive uh, response to the question posed. Uh, I believe that definitely the Minister will agree with uh, me that the, the uh, corruption uh, in itself is a pandemic and it uh, requires extraordinary measures to ensure that, uh, that there is an identification in address to the manner in which it is threatening the, the uh, commitment by the ANC-led government to, to clean governance. And uh, some of the challenges and gaps that uh, uh, our Green Minister uh, has identified is the fact that there is a, a, a delay in most cases to uh, finalize the disciplinary uh, processes for the officials involved. Uh, the second one is the fact that uh, in other cases when uh, these officials are supposed to be charged, they resign. And uh, uh, therefore, in other cases also, the resignation is uh, followed up by the appointment of these officials in other departments. Now, the question that I want to pose uh, to the Honourable Minister is as to whether uh, has any review been uh, considered and amongst them to expedite the capacity and capability of vetting uh, process so that these officials do not uh, fall through the cracks. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Thank you, National Chair. Minister. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair, and thanks for the follow-up question. Um, there is a need, Honorable Maiman, to review the current regulatory frameworks. The, the DPSA is in the process, therefore, uh, to review the public service regulations to address exactly these identified gaps. And the state security agency is responsible for vetting and should be able to address the question of, of vetting these people so that uh, they do not just easily resign this site and get into the other side. And uh, the exchange of information is also very important from any department which is employing somebody who was employed before. 
definitely is we are, we are clear about closing those gaps so that uh, people should not take advantage of this particular situation. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Minister. Uh, the next uh, supplemental questions come from the DA. DA? Thank you, Honourable Chairperson. Hello, Minister. Uh, you and I have had many good conversations in Barney's uh, over the past few years, and so I'm very disappointed that you're not here today. I was really hoping I could give you a handshake and a hug. But anyway, uh, the NCRP is back at work, boss. We're here, and we'd love to see you with us. Um, Minister, one of the many recommendations made by the Zondo Commission was to professionalise the procurement service. And I quote, to create a procurement officer's profession complete with minimum qualifications, standards, and training. Members of the profession would be subject to a tribunal which would adjudicate any irregular behaviour and have the power to remove offending offending actors from the sector. In that light, Minister, what steps will you take to pursue the establishment of a degree qualification in procurement as per the recommendations of the Zondo Commission? I thank you, Honourable Chairperson. Yes, uh, Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. I must I must indicate that the issue of the qualification is very important. But we must also say it's not just about qualification. You, you can be qualified but do not have the necessary qualified academically but do not have the necessary competencies. So it's a combination of 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 the two. That experience is 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 needed. If you emphasize that qualification, there are people who have worked in this system for a number of years, highly experienced. You can't just throw them away. I can tell you that today we had a cabinet committee. That's why Minister Nkosazana Faminizuma and uh, myself are here because we had big issues we're debating amongst others is the issue of the professionalization of of the public service, the whole issue of skilling through the National School of Government and uh, all the related matters uh, is that uh, we're very serious about training and retraining of the public servants in order for them to have the right competencies and deliver the service that is needed. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. EFF? No, thanks, Chairperson. This, uh, no, it will be poor. The mics are not working properly. I think we should bring that to your attention or the chief. Let me just switch up. Okay. No, thanks, uh, Chairperson. Uh, Minister, corruption remains the greatest challenge facing local government. 
as it deprives uh, millions of South Africans of essential services. As a country, we also have to admit that the center of our problem is the directionless, corrupt, and ideologically bankrupt former liberation movement, which does not know how to steer South Africa forward. Now, in light of that, uh, uh, Minister, which measures will public servant take in implementing and monitoring corruption, uh, reforms of financial systems, and the prevention of wasteful and irregular expenditure? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Minister. I think uh, the Honourable Member should note that the very concept of the state capture and putting a commission was the resolve also of the ruling party. And secondly, we have already introduced the lifestyle audit, starting at the highest level and moving down, and uh, forcing people to declare their interest and the businesses they are doing. And uh, it's still a long way to go. Dealing with the lifestyle audit, it's exposing a number of people. But when we're talking about corruption, corruption knows no political party. Corruption knows uh, no difference between a politician and a public servant. So all, all of us have to be subjected to that, including members of the opposition, when we deal with this particular matter. So there are various, therefore, uh, measures which we're putting in place to try and deal with this corruption. And you are correct that um, corruption in the public service is stealing from the poor, denying them the service they are supposed to be getting. And uh, you know that the AG has come up very strong in terms of consequence management, uh, whether you're talking wasteful expenditure and so on. So consequence management is very key um, in the various departments uh, when it comes to service delivery or abusing the resources of, of, of government. That um, has to be strengthened and by all departments. And if you look at the initiatives we've been taking in order to strengthen these ethic officers I've been talking about in the various departments um, is one of the strategies which we are implementing on top of the other strategies which have already been put. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Minister. Let's move on to the IFP. Honorable Thank you, Honorable Chair. Um, Honorable Minister, the national anti-corruption strategy is a vital component for ensuring the consciousness regarding the ills of corruption and maladministration. I would like to know what role is your department playing to fully support and integrate its work with the national anti-corruption strategy? 
and to capacitate on its objectives. Thank you. Minister? It's very clear that when we have been talking about the norms and standards in order to deal with the rot, it's one of our responsibilities as this department in order to guide other departments. I can tell you now that uh, the DPSA, working with SAPS and the NPA, they have formed a task team to address uh, some of the issues where departments were guided on the process on how to investigate these cases, some of them which are criminal cases, and then they are handed over for prosecution to the NPA to prosecute. So I've indicated also that DBSA have had sessions with ethics officers um, to commence with the ethics officers and labor relations officials uh, of the implicated uh, departments so that we can commence with the disciplinary cases. This is a situation monitored by the body I talked about, which I said is an ethics body, which looks at if the department are able to follow up and forcing the department to provide uh, feedback on the implementation. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Minister. We'll now move on to question 20. Uh, Question 20 is on prosecution of public servants. Uh, This question is from uh, Tim Proteseth and is directed to the Minister of Public uh, Service and Administration. Minister? Uh, Thank you very much, Chairperson. In response to question 20, a multi-departmental task team consisting of ISAPs, the National Prosecuting Authority, and uh, the Public Administration Ethics, Integrity, and Disciplinary Technical Unit, which I referred to, was established, uh, which is coordinating these investigations and prosecutions of the service of the public service employees who are conducting business with uh, with the state. Um, I can be able to say 1515 of 579 cases were identified and prioritized uh, by the team to pilot the process and to establish the case law in relation to this. And seven public service employees implicated in the 579 cases involving the public servants conducting business with the state. They were deemed to have merit and were successfully investigated and prosecuted. These seven officials are all employed by the South African Police Service. The recovery of the money in cases involving employees uh, conducting business with the state is directed through a court process. This is because the service rendered is typically not with the department where the person is employed, 
but with another department or municipality or even entity. So the body I've talked about, this technical assistant unit, requested all the departments to report by October 2022 on the progress regarding their cases and to include any amounts of reporting. We can be able, once those have been submitted, to um, give the details of what departments have given by that particular date. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Minister. Let's proceed to the first follow-up question. Tim? Thank you, Minister. Um, Yeah, you know, Minister, once again, uh, we have the classic South African story. Something about battery prices in the audience there. Um, Once again, we have the classic South African story. Great plans, Rich on, pov- uh, rich on policy, but poverty-stricken on implementation. Minister, let's just recap your answer. 579 cases. Of that, you prioritized 15, one five. You were very proud of that. I've seen that response. Of that, you've prosecuted seven. So out of 579, there are 572 cases that have had no action. (laughs) That's absolutely incredible, Minister. So it is clear that the ridiculously named Public Administration Ethics, Integrity and Disciplinary Technical Assistance Assistance Unit, the acronym is unpronounceable, is either not taking their work seriously or is incompetent or is fact is complicit with criminal elements still holding sway in the public service. The reality is that since this unit was brought into law in 2016, with the adoption of the public service regulations, and in that time has achieved very little, if anything. Minister, what will you do to accelerate at great pace the investigations and prosecutions? And if you cannot take decisive action, Will you step aside and allow somebody competent to do the job? Thank you. Minister. Uh, Thank you very much. I want the Honourable Member to understand that investigations need lots of resources. Investigations um, we need experienced people in that particular field. It's not like grabbing any other public servant to do that. So faced with a number of the cases, you have uh, to prioritize uh, the cases you have to deal with. And of course, some of them, which are criminally referred to the people with the lesser skills. This is very, very important. So, and also dealing with the disciplinary processes, you have to make sure in our legislation that you follow those processes to the letter. There are no shortcuts. Sometimes some of those can take you up to a year because you are 
dealing with an official who's also going to come with his or her legal, legal representatives who are going to be able to raise all issues, procedural issues, even before you come to the substantive issues. It's not easy as that, that you simply act and uh, as you want to. So you must take this very seriously. And uh, when you prioritize, it does not necessarily mean you have ignored the other cases. You take them in terms of of that particular priority. I, I think that's what we, 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 we need to understand. And especially that we've put some of these new measures, we are going to continue testing them as the officials get experienced. They will be able to move at a faster pace in dealing with with all these issues. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. Let's proceed to uh, the, the second supplementary question uh, by Honorable Mohamed Dango. Uh, Honorable Dango. Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister. As you have pointed out, for government officials to do business with the state is not only unethical, but an act of criminality. How many of these cases have been investigated internally with possible internal disciplinary measures against affected officials? Thank you very much, Minister. If you can please reply to that question. Minister? Thank you very much, sir. Um, I've, I've indicated that the different departments um, are still going to give us detailed information, especially in relation to this uh, particular financial year. I've indicated that uh, we have requested these departments to give us the total information the numbers, as you are indicated, and those reports must be received to us by the 20th, I mean by October uh, 2022, uh, with regards to the various cases. And the number which we indicated earlier on was very minimal. But this time around, when all the other departments are submitting, we will have all the information and submit it to Parliament. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let's proceed to FF Plus. FF Plus. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister, will your department be willing to adopt a zero tolerance policy regarding public servants and officials that's conducting business with the state? And will they be criminally charged where it's needed and applicable instead of just going through internal disciplinary actions? Thank you. Minister? Thank you, Honorable Member. Well, the cases differ. If it's a case of misconduct, we take it through the disciplinary processes and uh, we come with the necessary penalty. Uh, It will depend then on the nature of the case. But if it's a criminal case, 
definitely it becomes a, a case which needs criminal charges. That's why we bring uh, subs, we also bring the NPA to guide us on how to deal with that. And certainly we would want to see people uh, wearing the orange overalls when they have committed such crimes. Thank you. Thank you very much, EFF. Um, well, I'm a fifteen, a seventy Utati is katisi tegangara uguti wunga sechenziswa iskaba 18C of e-public service regulation uguti ene kukutu la matala upele njengawo. Thank you. Minister? Honorable member, sen shilo uguti mangaba uzo shushisa abasebenzi kuhulmeni kune mtetho kumelwili kandela awuvele nje uvuke uvuke sokuthi uyaxhosha ngoba lo muntu lo has e rights and can use those rights and if proper processes have not been followed the person will be able to take you to the cleaners through the various dispute resolving mechanisms and I've already indicated we are talking about very complex DC procedures which have to be followed to the latter. We are talking about resources in these cases. Some of these cases you end up spending millions, sometimes engaging the lawyers. So you're not going to move at the pace uh, which you want when you are dealing with this because you are also dealing with the people who are responding and they respond illegally. We are looking at the law in terms of dealing with this matter of how do we expedite uh, our cases uh, whenever we are faced with them because I think the concern to a certain extent it is a genuine concern. It takes very long in the public service to deal with uh, with with some of the cases, but unfortunately, it has to do with the law, and we will be the last not to respect the procedures, which means we will be the last to violate the law. Thank you, Minister. We will now proceed to question fourteen. Question number 14 is on National Anti-Corruption Hotline. Uh, the question is from El Mushodi and is to the Minister of uh, Public Service and Administration. Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, Chairperson. And uh, 
let me thank you, Honorable Mushodi, and indicate that there are 3,681 officials uh, that were found guilty of uh, misconduct related to some corrupt activities which were reported through the National Anti-Corruption Hotline. And it's different from the one which we're talking about before. In the period of September up to now, 2020, September 2004 to 2022, many of the officials who were subjected to DC processes were given the final warnings were some demoted, others required to pay money whilst some have been dismissed from the public service. And uh, during the 2021-22 financial year, the National Anti-Corruption Hotline received a total of 1,563 complaints. Most of these cases relate to the fraudulent use of uh, Sasa cards as a result of the information received through the National Anti-Corruption Hotline. And these were referred to the Tswane Metropolis. Suspects using sometimes 13 Sasa cards fraudulently um, who were arrested at uh, one of the malls called uh, Colonnade Mall. Further investigations led to the arrest of five more aspects in this very same mall. This is just one example we're talking about. And calling to members instead of the rightful beneficiaries were also referred to stops for investigation. And in respect of the 71 National Anti-Corruption Hotline complaints related to pension benefits that were also referred to the Government Pension Administration Agency. And the 40 beneficiaries were paid at their pension benefits. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Shorty. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Chairperson. A word of thanks to the Minister for the for his comprehensive response. My follow-up question, Honorable Chairperson. What is the role is the National Anti-Corruption Hotline playing in encouraging a culture that promotes openness, Honorable Minister? And also, I just want to check, how does the National Anti-Corruption Hotline ensure that a whistleblower identity remains protected. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable Minister. Thank you, Kyalebo. Honorable Minister. Thank you, sir. Um, the, the, the National Anti-Corruption Hotline, we think that it has played a very crucial role in the sense that a number of cases which have been reported and when we are following up those questions, um, we have been able um, to find credible 
and uh, information with integrity and start following up the people. But also, it helps also by protecting the the whistleblowers and uh, who are not easily exposed, who have to be protected by by us. Am I still uh, audible, Chaperson? Yes, please proceed. Okay, thank you. So uh, we think that this this hotline is a very valuable tool which is able to give us the necessary information and uh, so that we can investigate and act uh, very quickly when we can. That's what I can say, that's what. Uh, thank you very much. Let's, let's proceed to the IFP. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Minister. It has been stressed that inefficient investigations by government departments caused undue prejudice to, whis- to whistleblowers. This is made worse by delaying feedback by departments on the progress of investigations. What steps can be taken to facilitate better support and feedback to whistleblowers that report corruption via the hotline. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Minister. Honorable Member, I've I've indicated that, um, first of all, it's very difficult um, to expose those people who are giving the information through the hotline, and uh, it is our policy that we must not expose uh, the whistleblowers uh, who are giving us that information. They must be protected as much as possible. But once the matter is beyond us, and the people have been exposed for some reason or the other, it's a matter which we must report to the um, state security agencies who can be able to have the expertise to deal with the protection of such whistleblowers. Thank you very much, EFF. Uh, Thank you, Chairperson. For it to function, As an effective tool of combating corruption, a hotline must promote its services and be easily accessible. However, the usefulness of this hotline remains unclear as the general public is unaware of its existence. Minister, on which provincial platforms has this hotline been publicized and which service delivery issues have been directly resolved as a result of this hotline in provinces. Thank you, Chair. Minister? Um, The hotline is very useful. The fact that there have been responses of the numbers I've been talking about, it's an indication that the hotline is, is... useful and the numbers 
are accessible to our people. But I think what you're raising, we need to intensify. There might be people who might not be able to have this information. We need, therefore, to intensify, and we need to use all forms of media, including the social media, uh, to help them to be able to access this particular number. But uh, you know that from the different radio stations, various newspapers, we keep on uh, advertising this particular information. And uh, it is also led by the various departments uh, at various central points, be it at the Premier's office and some of them with the various ministries. But uh, the fact that uh, we've been able to receive such high numbers, it shows that this is is very, very useful uh, to the public. Thank you very much, the DA. Thank you, thank you, Chair. Um, Minister, yeah, thanks for, thanks for that response. And, and I think to Mr. Mulatsani, I want to pick up where he left off. Um, I mean, yes, there's a national corruption helpline. Um, it's not well publicized. Uh, Minister, do you know the number? Because I had to Google it. And when I Googled it, I, uh, I dialed it, and I've dialed it actually 15 times in the last two days, Minister. And uh, each time I dial it, out of the 15, I received this, an answer once. The rest of the time, Minister, it goes straight through to a problematic thing that says the system is not available. Let's wait for it. It's going to come to us now. So... If uh, Matlangu can use yes, uh, uh, Matlangu can use her phone, then we can do that too. But uh, Minister, Honourable Rider, you say Honourable Order, you see, Honourable Members, let's not do what Honourable Rider is 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 doing. Uh, we have spoken here before about inadmissibility of. Uh, uh, other mediums such as placards and t-shirts and and so on and so forth. Uh, so let's not use gadgets that are not supposed to be used in the in the house. If you want to engage the the minister, please do so, but not in the way that you've just done now. Exercise to test the availability, but I take your point. Um, if we can have consistency, perhaps with the rules, then it would be it would be welcome. Um, Minister, the point is, the corruption line is not answered sufficiently. How can it be useful if, uh, to our people if the line is not answered regularly? Um, you say that we've had all of these cases reported, but have they again led to any convictions? Thank you, Minister. Uh, Minister, I think you, you you need to understand the. Uh, Honorable member, that when you're dealing with such a hotline, um, you might find that there's very heavy traffic at the time which you want to get in. Uh, you're not able to immediately get in, and you have to be patient. 
in order for you to be able to register the point. Because if it's a hotline used by the millions of the people, you must expect that you might not get in very quickly. But I think also you are suggesting that we must have a way of uh, improving our systems. So it's continuous improvement. Uh, We will take that point, but it's going to need people who are patient. You were asking me if I know the number. Yes, the number I know is 0800-701701. I know that number. Um, Thank you very much, uh, uh, Chairperson. Thank you very much. We'll now proceed to question number seven. And uh, question number seven is a question on business with state organs. A uh, question is from uh, Honorable Esm uh, Letsane uh, to the Minister of Public Service and Administration. Minister? Thank you very much uh, to Honorable Letsane. A multi-departmental team again, consisting of SARPs, the NPA and the Public Administration Ethics, Integrity and Disciplinary Technical Units, which I indicated that it was established uh, to deal with this investigation and prosecution of the public service employees conducting a business with the state. This was necessary as the Section 8 of the Public uh, Administration Management Act, which we call it PAMA 2014, made it a criminal offense for public administration employees to conduct business with the state. And um, the team identified almost uh, 579 cases where public servants may have been in breaching the policy regarding conducting business with the state. And uh, I indicated that because the questions are related, some of the cases were prioritized so that we established the case law. And um, at SARPs, there were people who were involved and uh, were found guilty and convicted uh, in terms of PAMA. And most of the cases involving employees conducting business with the state also involves provincial departments. And to ensure departments act against the identified employees and letters were addressed to these departments on the 30th of June 2022 ethics officers and the labor relations officers from these departments whom we've indicated we invited them for further training. And during the training sessions conducted, they were also trained how to conduct those investigations regarding employees conducting business with the state. And they required disciplinary management processes to be followed. And uh, again, we have put the same date of the 31st of October regarding reports on the general progress and the steps taken, criminal and disciplinary. And um, uh, during, uh, I can say during uh, 
the indicated training session, the NPA shared a list of procedures that the various provincial departments can contact if needed. And even SARPS has shared a list of names of officers that can be contacted to assist departments with investigation and the opening of the criminal cases. On the second part, um, which talks about how many public servants have been found, um, the conflict of interest are detected through these lifestyle audit processes. And this includes the detection of the employees conducting this business with the state and those performing other remunerative work uh, outside the public service. And um, in January 2022, departments were required to submit information on a template to the public administration ethics body uh, outlining the conflicts of interest. And uh, we are still pulling uh, those those numbers because social development, for instance, investigated seven cases and six of the cases were concluded. And small uh, business development investigated seven cases that resulted in disciplinary action. And uh, five of those people were dismissed. And uh, this process started before the lifestyle audit process. And Statistics South Africa has indicated that they commenced with the investigation and one of the employees was interviewed and referred for investigation. So I can go on and on, but what we could be able to do, Chairperson, is to submit that information in detail, department by department. And remember, we're dealing with, if I'm correct, 161 departments. But they will be able to do that and have a consolidated uh, number. For now, I cannot be able to, to give that consolidated number. Thank you very much, Honorable Mletsan. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, the Minister has answered some of uh, the questions that I had but then I wanted to be specific to him when coming to because he was able to explain number of cases, number of cases prioritized. Now I wanted him to come to say how many now convicted. So he only talked about uh, seven that were convicted and then from the from, from, from Department of Social Development. So I wanted to know because, I mean, that number is a drop in the ocean. So I wanted him to be specific to say, presently in South Africa or per province, so many they have been convicted uh, from the SPER department. Thank you, Chair. Minister? Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, I, I can be able to consolidate this information as per all the 161 departments. But all I can add... Um, for instance, the Western Cape Department of Health indicated that they had identified 744 employees with a possible conflict of interest, especially for non-disclosing of assets, including the issue of vehicles and the companies. And um, investigations were conducted, and most of the information was attributed to outdated data 
which is contained on the third-party database. So I don't want to give uh, to the honourable member the information which we still need to verify. I must apologise for that. But we will be able to give that information department by department. We can be able to send it uh, to to uh, NCOP by by next week. Thank you very much. DA. Thank you again, Minister. Uh, Minister, question seven is essentially the same as question 20, uh, with predictably the same answer, the same waffle. And you say you could go on and on. Well, mercifully, you didn't. Because let's get down to the basics again. The fact remains that in six years since 2016, your department identified, this is your own facts, 579 employees that did business with the state. Your department says that those were credible claims and only seven have been prosecuted. Only seven. Let's just let that sink in. Minister, you and I both know that that's a joke and it inspires zero confidence in the people of our country. This fact alone that you've told us today could be the concluding paragraph of the Zondo Commission report. It would certainly sum it up, the absolute lack of action against people in our country involved in corrupt activities. So, Minister, you also indicated in your previous answer that corruption is not limited to political parties. I would agree with that. It's certainly not limited to political parties or demographics, but it certainly knows your party the best. That's for sure. Okay? And so, Minister, the final question is, what are you going to do to start nailing public officials involved in corrupt activities, regardless of political affiliation? Thank you. But Minister, thank you, Jefferson. Honorable member, I mentioned a few departments talking about a certain number of cases. I didn't mention the total number in the public service, starting from a particular year. I've even indicated that we are awaiting for these processes as we have put a deadline of October 2022. And I think you are going to get a a national picture once we get such stats. And uh, to ask the question, when we're dealing with the people who are violating the prescripts of the law, we don't look at the political affiliation. We're just dealing with those who have violated, we're just dealing with the criminals. That's all. And we don't care about where the public servants belong or don't belong. We just deal them in terms of the public service prescripts. Let's not put in politics into, into, into this. Thank you very much. FF Plus. Thank you, Jay. Uh, Minister, 
Yeah, with regard to the officials undergoing disciplinary actions, uh, once again, I have to ask how many of these cases actually resulted in criminal prosecution. And I ask this because of the tendency where officials that is being investigated ends up resigning before the disciplinary process is completed. And then as a result of this, the whole process is stopped without any prosecution. Um, and I'm sure this has happened in hundreds of instances. Uh, the former municipal manager of Mangoon is a prime example of this. Thank you. Minister? If, if there's an official who has jumped because he's facing uh, some disciplinary processes, that is why we've said when people are getting employed into the other departments or other provinces, there needs to be some declaration. There needs to be um, some tracking of that particular person uh, by the employing departments. And definitely a person going into another area will have a person number who can easily be followed up. And now that we've started this process and we've talked about coordination uh, between the various departments and the various uh, spheres of government, we think that we are starting to be able to track some of the people who think that they will just do this and resign and run into the into into the other departments and the other spheres of your government. But it's a it's a matter which we 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 have to be very very strict and uh, with tracking the history of a party of each and every candidate we are employing regardless of of the level. All along the focus has been at the management level, but now it's clear that we must focus at all levels. Thank you very much. Uh, let's proceed to the last question from the ANC. Thanks, Honorable Chairperson. And thank you, Honorable Minister, for your response to the question. Honorable Minister, have all the departments and provinces submitted their reports on the possible conflict of interest by public servants to your department? If not, when are they supposed to send their reports? I thank you, Minister. Minister? We we know for a fact that uh, they've indicated that they've uh, done this necessary work. And uh, I would repeat, uh, Honorable Member, we have requested them to provide the feedback by the 31st of October um, 2022 on all the cases they have criminal and the steps which they have taken in dealing with this particular matter. Once that information is available, then we will be able uh, to share it with uh, the NCOP. Thank you very much, Minister. We now move to question 21. 
Question 21 is on implementation of lifestyle audits. Uh, this question is from Tim, Honorable Tim, and is directed to the Minister of Public Service and Administration. Minister? Uh, question 21. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. The <coughs> lifestyle audits <coughs> are compulsory since 1st of April 2021, after the approval of the guide to implement lifestyle audits in the public service, outlining the process to conduct such. So, yes, uh, Honorable. Uh, Member, lifestyle audits were conducted for senior management in the public service and the government components since the approval of the guide. And having stated all that, Honorable Member, must hasten to indicate that uh, the DBSA, through the, the very body I've been quoting, Public Administration, Ethics, Integrity, and Disciplinary unit on national and provincial departments. This is a decentralized responsibility residing with the departments in terms of Regulation 22 of the Public Service Regulations of 2016. So the national and the provincial departments are responsible to conduct lifestyle audits, starting with lifestyle reviews which were to be conducted by the departmental ethics officers which we're talking about that they've been trained when we were answering the other questions. The lifestyle review processes entails the verification of financial disclosures submitted by designated officials during those prescribed periods. Uh, that is the senior management members. Um, that was in April. And levels 9 to 12 and other designated categories, it was in June and July. And when departments detect conflict of interest or unexplained wealth, the second process is to embark on the lifestyle investigation. This is conducted by departmental investigators And when the corruption or criminal conduct is detected, the case is reported to the police for further investigation. In instances where the investigation becomes complex due to concealed assets, external auditors may be involved to conduct a thorough lifestyle audit. When corruption is detected, the outcome of the audit is shared with the police and the criminal case is open against the employee, the police will then continue with their own investigation. And as if the ethics officers verified submitted financial disclosures and no conflict of interest or unexplained wealth is detected, the lifestyle audit process is considered completed. So there are 24 national departments that have conducted the lifestyle audits. 
on their SMS and other designated categories. The 21 provincial departments have conducted lifestyle audits on all their SMS and other designated categories. And some of the outcomes of the investigations that one might be able to give uh, the information thus far. It's not yet uh, full, but we are expecting that information on that particular date. And uh, once it's available, then we will share it uh, in October or in November with the Parliament. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Yes, thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Tim, Brodesov. Thank you, Chairperson, and, and thank you once again, Honorable Minister. But once again, let's go back to the facts. So in 2016, the public service regulations were passed. It took a full five years, five years, for the guard on how to do lifestyle audits came in. Now, Minister, we're aware of what lifestyle audits entail, entail, but thank you very much for the explanation. But you've missed point number B of 21, 21B, because that says how many audits. So you've said to us, yes, we've done audits here, we've done audits in the provinces, we've done audits all over the place, but you have not given us how many. Maybe you can help me in the follow-up to this. And then what was the outcome of the investigations? So just like the 579, maybe you've also prioritized three and you've done one. But could you please tell us how many audits have actually been conducted? Give us a figure, Minister. Thank you. Minister? Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson and the Honorable Member. I am requesting the Honorable Member just to bear with me so that I'm able to get the proper and full statistics and be able to give that information. I didn't have that information with me. Thank you very much. Uh, the next uh, is IFP. IFP. Thank you, Honorable Chair, Honorable Minister. We appreciate the lifestyle audits that have been completed noting that there are still many to be concluded. What were the unforeseen challenges your department faced when conducting these audits and what measures were taken to address these issues? Thank you. Minister? The the major issue, it might even speak to the issue why we've been moving very slow in this particular area. It has been the capacity. And if you listen to I talked about Please proceed, Minister. Yes, uh, uh, Minister, I'm not audible. So we have... Uh, sorry? Me? Hear me? 
Yes, it's better now. Please. Hello? It's better. Do you hear me? Yes. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I, I was saying the biggest challenge has been to ensure that you empower your investigators, the ethics officers I was talking about. And that needed us to spend a lot of time on training them. And if you're going to do and investigate an individual, not knowing exactly what procedures you are supposed to follow, what you are looking for, and you must not be found to be on the wrong side of the law, you must be seen to be doing exactly what you are supposed uh, to be doing. And remember, uh, people have rights. And if you violate their rights, then you will see yourself uh, faced with a problem. That's why we had to do a thorough training. We had to involve the prosecutors, the people from justice, uh, who are going to be able to take people step by step on how this has to be done. So that was the major problem. But now we've been to get, we've been able to start that particular training in order to obviate what I'm talking about. And we think that the process now is going to pick up and, and move forward with speed. Thank you very much. ANC, the African National Congress. Yes, Chairperson, uh, I will take the question. Honorable Minister, the issue of lifestyle audits and the scale currently required is welcome. <clears throat> Policy interventions by the state and the fight against corruption. Given the complexity of this process, has the Department of DPSA considered uniform national norms and standards? both in terms of process and institutional arrangements across the departments and spheres of the state. Uh, thank you very much, Minister. Minister? Pre- pre- thank you. Precisely on that, uh, Honourable Member, Honourable Dango, uh, that's where we've had to train our people. Um, that's where we've had to train our people in order to be able to follow the, the 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 proper processes, that's why and the proper that's why we're talking about um, this capable state we are talking about. We are saying it needs human capabilities. It needs institutional capacity. Um, the service processes. And also including the technological platforms, um, which the NDP was talking about. And whatever we, we do, uh, it must be driven by the constitutional values and driven by the principles um, of the public administration. And of course, the rule of law, um, focusing on what we would call the um, the progressive realization of, of socioeconomic rights and social justice. To us, that is very, very important. And the process must be seen to be 
transparent, uh, not a process of just trying to follow the individual. So, as you say, it was building the institutions as we go along, and we are going to continue in strengthening that capacity, those processes, and even the 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 institution. It's a very very important area we are dealing with. I've spoken, for instance, about the multi-departmental task team consisting of SARPs, NPA, and in dealing with all sorts of malfeasance. And um, the mere fact that the body that we have has all these organizations and bodies speaks to how serious the government is in dealing with this, but also how complex this particular process. And it's not just an easy thing that you do it like that. That's 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 where we are coming from. So to us, we're building it. Uh, it's a gradual process until we are there, until the process um, comes to fruition and it's able to run on its own. No, thank you very much. Uh, can we go to the EFF? Gibonge Sal and Patsy Somyang Lower you, Minister, a office Lamunga mail on a second cabin Uchixin Temple. Was Kulumoyake November twenty twenty lifestyle audits is of Portula, go March twenty twenty one. Sepele Unyara a local menga NC, Ufeida, a local Gatti Uzbegi Legon. Patsiswa is CP is a to essence of Utni Habegonia or Lonwab, who fed at the lifestyle audits in the public service in Gabong. Minister. Thank you, Chairperson and the Honorable Member. I thought I was very clear that. This is a process, not an event, which needs training officials, training and training on the procedures to be followed. It's not that you wake up and do the audit. I mean, the lifestyle audit tomorrow. I will leave it, Jeche. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now we go to the last question. The last question is question 15. This question is on public sector wage bill. Uh, question is asked by uh, Honorable M.I. Khai. Uh, is directed to the Minister of Public Service and Administration. Minister. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, the government has slowed uh, the growth in the public service, uh, public sector wage bill through what we call cost containment measures introduced since the budget uh, in 2020. So the share of compensation of employees to the total consolidated expenditure, excuse me, has decreased from 34.5% in 2019-20 financial year to 31% in 
21.6% in 22-23. So, and this share is set to further reduce to about 30.8% in 2024-25 financial year. Um, In the budget of 2022, the 2021 public service wage agreement was higher than the budgeted one. Uh, That is, it was 20.5 billion in 2021-22 and 2022-23. However, it consists of a cash graduate rather than a permanent adjustment of salaries, which will result in long-term savings in the public care sector wage bill. And I'm very careful here, Chairperson. Uh, We are in the negotiations. I'm also avoiding to be accused as acting minister to be negotiating uh, through parliament. I need also to say, moreover, as part of the measures to cap the public sector wage bill growth, departments are expected to manage the feeling of both critical and non-critical posts within the staff staff establishments whilst they're remaining within the budget and still delivering their mandate. So the public service wage negotiations for the financial year 2022-23 commenced on the 22nd of April at the PSCBC and they are in progress with government uh, having presented the country's economic outlook to labor uh, during that pre-negotiation session. There are currently no clashes at the bargaining council as negotiations are still progressing with the hope to conclude this round amicably. Should any dispute arise out of these negotiations, it's normal during negotiations to have um, tensions running up. It's normal that uh, you will have dispute, but there are dispute resolving mechanisms which must be followed whenever there is that we always say the bargaining season is a silly season in almost all the sectors. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chai. Uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable Chairperson, and uh, thank you to Honorable uh, Minister for the response. Uh, Honorable Minister, the post-COVID-19 uh, global economic recovery and the ongoing uh, Ukrainian-Russian war have precipitated hike in general cost of living for public service workers uh, in particular. In, in the light of this, has the department considered other alternative monetary incentives uh, to offer public workers? Uh, but also for future, Honorable uh, uh, Minister, would the department or government consider uh, having uh, these negotiations uh, held uh, before the tabling of uh, the budget uh, so that it is meaningful. Um, because what also frustrates unions is that uh, uh, was when they start negotiating negotiations, 
already the budget has been tabled and uh, they already know how much is budgeted for that. And therefore, it defeats the meaningfulness uh, of uh, uh, negotiations. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you very much, Minister. Thank you very much, uh, (coughs) Chairperson, and to Honorable Chai. Um, What we have agreed with the unions is that for this round of negotiations, remember where we're coming from. We're coming from a big dispute which ended in court where we were accused of not implementing the last leg of the agreement. And uh, you will also appreciate that the trust levels uh, are very, very low. But what we have agreed after we had gone to a public service summit, and which was a breakthrough, uh, led by uh, my predecessor, Minister George, we agreed that this year we will focus on what we call call the cost of uh, living adjustment only. And then we wanted to finish these negotiations um, very quickly and start the negotiations uh, for the coming years, that is 23-24, where we will then deal with all the other issues, the issues of the incentives, the housing care allowances, and so on. And for now, we're just focusing on the cost of living care, living adjustment, and precisely on the issue which you are raising. Um, we are saying it is not useful that we negotiate after the budget has been passed by parliament. It's negotiating after the fact. Very little you can be able to influence Uh, what has been put in place. What we have suggested and agreed with the unions in terms of our timetable is that once we finish this uh, one-year negotiations and have an agreement on that, we'll come back to all the other issues which they have raised and then try and negotiate parallel to the budgetary processes so that we can be able, when the budget is passed, we're able to make the recommendations as per the outcome of the negotiations. Then the Ministry of Finance can take that into consideration. And of course, the Ministry of Finance has also agreed to that particular approach. I'm handling these negotiations together with the Minister of Finance and his officials. So we want to go into a new process which we negotiate prior to finalizing the budget so that the budget can take into consideration those issues. And I think we have learned from the past where we've been trying to influence the cake, but it's after the cake is done. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. EFF. video. Uh, Eh uh, minister eh uh, kuyabonakala okokubanga bana izinga lemivuzo eh uh, yabasebenzi eh uh, kweli lizwe liye liqhubeke liye liqhubekeka ngokuhla ngokuhla ngendlela engandekiyo eh uh, njengoko ke sesibonile minister okokubanga bana 
Ukengenelela okutetangako ke nokuzama ukulungisa kuzawubana kona uphakamisa izinga lemivuzo yabasebenzi ukuze noko babone impilo yabo iphucuka ingakumbi abasebenza bamnyama ndiyabulela kakhulu umphakiso em ndiyabulela sihlalo manditi kwilungu elihloniphekileyo dithethile into yokuba Kulonyaka sijonge lendo utuwa i cost of living adjustment. Neli zingo tetangalo. Eli zinga ke is influenced by a number of factors. Is also influenced in the main, and we must be honest, by the affordability of the country. The demands to the country. And remember, we are talking about the floods which were never budgeted for, which hit the KZN. And government has to respond. We're talking about the violence which destroyed workplaces and jobs. We're talking about the pandemic which destroyed 2 million jobs. We're talking about the economy, which was already going down prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, which therefore says anything which we're giving to the public servants must be properly calculated. But also you're talking about Positions which must be filled in the public service. You need teachers. You need health workers. You need um, police. Therefore, that must be taken into consideration as we are dealing with the wages. It's not only the wages which are facing us. Service delivery is also going to depend on a number of these issues which I'm talking about. I'm not sure. I'll wait for the negotiations. I cannot be able to say we can afford this, we cannot afford. Otherwise, I'll be seen to be negotiating or abusing parliament for negotiations. But I just want to say to you, it's not about just a figure, which will just come a very high figure and think that would be able to settle at that particular level. It must take into consideration all the issues we are talking about. And workers have been saying we are overburdened because we have not been able to fill in a number of uh, a number of the posts. And all these are coming from the very same budget. Those are the considerations we have to make. But for now, let's leave the issues to the negotiations. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. FF plus. 
Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister, with reference to the already high public sector wage bill and the role that the unions plays in demanding higher remuneration packages that, man, that might seem unrealistic for many, as well as a tripartite alliance between the unions and the ANC, will government contain the public wage bill in the interest of the economy and the country, even if it results in damaging government's ties with the unions? Will you act in the best interest of the country at all times? Thank you, Minister. Minister? Thank you very much, Chairperson. On the negotiation table, the the parties to these negotiations, the employer and the employee, the employee side, it's by different unions with different strengths. You have the biggest union being the PSA. You have the South African Democratic Teachers Union. You have Nehau. You have Pop Crew. You have Sapu. These are the different uh, unions which are there. And uh, some are independent unions, and some of them are uh, affiliates of, 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 of FEDUSA. Some of them are the affiliate of COSATU. There's no alliance with the uh, with the governing party on that. We're dealing with those as employees and we're dealing with them as the unions and uh, bargaining and we're taking into consideration what I've said is affordability to the country. Uh, that's, 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 that's our position. So we're not there to talk about any, any, any alliance issues. But I can be able to tell you, I can be able to tell you that uh, if you looked at the settlement patterns in the other sectors, it has meant that the employers, before they can understand, they had to go into strikes, strikes which are not necessary, strikes which are very damaging. And uh, we should not take unions as a threat. We should take unions as stabilizing, giving us a plot from be able to negotiate with all the workers. But we must accept that there will be uh, those times of tensions, of conflict. Because you know, once you start talking about money, even with business, once you start talking about money, you are talking about something which is very sensitive resolving mechanisms which are in our law must be followed to deal with 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 those disputes. We're not talking any alliance there. We are talking uh, the right to bargain uh, by the employer and the employees. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Minister DA. Thank you, Honourable Chairperson. Honourable Minister, We are all aware that your party is going through a very traumatic divorce from your voters. But has the time not come to wake up from the unrealistic Marxist dream and smell the coffee of economic reality? Honorable Minister, the economy is dying and there are no room for error. Would 
you agree, Honorable Minister, that we have to remove the dead waste and the dead wood and wastage in the sector of public, in the public sector? And would the Honorable Minister agree that the public sector and service is bloated and inefficient? And that there is an urgent need to cut the fat and remove the deadwood, regardless of the fallout with the unions and the possible loss of patronage to the ANC. Or will you again put the needs of the ANC before the needs of the people of South Africa? Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Minister. I don't understand who is the deadwood. I don't understand who is the deadwood in the public service, unless you're referring to the majority of the black workers who were denied training, who were kept at the lower levels of the public service by the upper age system, whether you're referring to that particular deadwood, which has been caused by the upper age government. I don't understand the concept of a bloated public service. It's more of an ideological um, construct. You can't talk about a bloated public service when you have a shortage of the police, when you have a shortage in the clinics and in the hospitals of the nurses and the doctors, when you have a shortage in schools, of 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 teachers, so the bloated public service uh, mantra is a myth. It is a myth in the South African context. Yes, you can talk about bloated at the level of the administration, uh, at the level of the higher management, echelons, many chief directors, many whatever, and uh, many administrators in the offices. But where you talk about service delivery to the schools, to the clinics, and to the police stations, you can't talk about a bloated civil service. That's the issue which we have to deal with and say, how do we realign our public service to ensure that we improve service delivery and we appoint more personnel at the points of service delivery? So I reject this concept of a bloated civil service. It's not there. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, uh, Minister. Uh, honorable delegates, uh, I would like to take this opportunity to thank the minister, the MECs, and all permanent and special delegates for availing themselves to this uh, sitting of the National Council of Provinces. Uh, that, honorable members, concludes the business of the day. The House stands adjourned. Thank you very much. Uh,
Recording stopped.